verses from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 7, and beginning reading at verse number 17. It says, And this rumor of him went throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. <clears throat> and John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Now keep in mind that John the Baptist is in prison here and is getting ready to face death by beheading. Not very long after this. So he calls his two of his disciples and told them to go to Jesus. And this was his question. Are ye he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent unto us, sent us unto you, saying, Are you he that should come, or look we for another? I want to talk to you for a little bit tonight on the God of the bathroom floor. The God of the bathroom floor. Now, <clears throat> so the bathroom floor may not, it's probably not a place you want to end up. <laughs> um, one way or another in life, you're going to end up there, whether you slip out of getting out of the tub or the shower, and you slip and you, and you, you, you hurt yourself. Hopefully that's not the case. Or if life puts you there. Um, but by bathroom floor, I'm not talking about the tile or texture of your floor tonight. Or the place busy moms go to to get a few moments of silence. Even while the kids are shoving their fingers under the door and saying, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. But the bathroom floor is a place where we've all likely have been at one point or another in our life. And... You know, quite frankly, it's our breaking point. And it's the place where faith is low and doubt is very high. It's a place of isolation and deep disappointment and pain and bitter tears are shed there. And it's a place we don't often want or we never actually want to find ourselves that is breaking down sobbing on the bathroom floor and I have good news for you tonight. He is the God of the bathroom floor. And I'm glad for that because he's not just the God of the mountaintop. And he's not just my God when everything is going well and the wind is at my back and the sun is on my head. But he's the God of the good times and the low times. He's not just the God of the mountaintop or the God of parted seas and cleansed lepers and open blinded eyes and funerals turned into worse obsessions. Sometimes Lazarus dies and it seems like Jesus doesn't show up to the funeral. Sometimes he dies and four days later he comes in three words and Lazarus pops up out of the grave. But remember for every Lazarus that was alive in the days of the Lord, there was at least one other person who was just as godly as Lazarus was that did not get their miracle for whatever reason that was. But I can tell you this, he's still the God of the bathroom floor. Amen. Jesus had called John the greatest prophet of all time. Can you imagine that? If I were to ask you who was the greatest of all prophets throughout all the scriptures, John the Baptist should be the one that comes to mind, although he may not be. You would think of Daniel in the lion's den, and you would think of, uh, of Isaiah, maybe perhaps Jeremiah or Elijah, who got taken up 
uh, in a chariot of fire into heaven, that would qualify him as being a great prophet for sure. But the greatest prophet, according to Jesus, according to Matthew 11, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, <clears throat> there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John the Baptist, he really was a great prophet. And he was great, first of all, because of the job assigned to him was, was to be the preclude for the Messiah was to be the one who would bring the mountaintops down and cause the valleys to go up. He would, he would even the playing field, as it were. And that was John the Baptist. His birth was announced by an angel of the Lord. Elizabeth and Zacharias were chosen and special. He was the miracle baby of Elizabeth's old age. She, much, you know, Elizabeth, much like Sarai in the Old Testament, whose name was later changed to Sarah, she also had a miraculous birth. Uh, and God showed up <clears throat> to tell Sarah that she was going to have a kid. <clears throat> but this time it was an angel of the Lord, pardon me, <clears throat> who showed up uh, to, to Elizabeth and said, you're going to have a child and you will call his name John. He had devoted his entire life to ministry preparation. He had made sacrifices that none other had made. The Bible says that he came from the wilderness of Judea. And in case you didn't know, that's the rough, barren, rocky area towards the Jordan and the Dead Sea. Few people ever gathered or lived there. In fact, it was full of rocks and snakes and very little water. It was, from his birth, <clears throat> a lifetime of solitude as he devoted himself constantly to prayer and to fasting for his future ministry. His devotion and preparation for ministry far surpassed anybody else. You can compare him to Ezekiel, who was plowing a field whenever God called him to be a prophet. And Ezekiel looked around and said, who, me? I don't want to do this. I'm just, I'm just a regular plowman. Or you can compare him to Isaiah, who was called from a child, but not from his womb. And, and, and so uh, the requirements and the stringent devotion that John had to endure. You know, John was at one point a little boy full of dreams like every other kid in America is or has been at least at one point in their life. He dreamed perhaps of doing great things and indeed he did do great things. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a time in his ministry where thousands would come to him to get baptized and, and even the Pharisees, perhaps some of them, may have gotten converted under the ministry of John the Baptist. But one fateful day, it came to an abrupt end when King Herod put him in prison because John was calling out Herod for his sin of adultery in taking his brother's wife. Now, it's very easy for us to judge him because we're not the ones facing death by a chopping block after giving up our entire life into a ministry that would very quickly come to an end. But somewhere in that lonely, isolated prison cell, thoughts of doubt crept up into John's mind as he began to reminisce over his life, as he began to remember all of his preparation for ministry and all of the messages that he preached and all, uh, all of the sacrifices that he had made, his devotion, his love for God, and in the way that his life ended, 
was not prophesied. And can you, can you, can you really blame God for not? Because if John knew how it was going to end, he would have never made the journey. Probably. And so that's why sometimes when God tells us things, he kind of leaves out details sometimes. And it's not that he doesn't know the details. It's just he doesn't want to scare us away. He knows there's going to come a time when your face is going to get tested, but I'm going to be through it. I'm going to walk with you through it, and it's going to be okay. Furthermore, uh, the question that he asked in his mind was, why does it have to end like this? Furthermore, as devoted as he was, he prophesied and preached about an experience that he himself would never even see come to pass, much less experience. He said in Matthew 3, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I. Whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. But John, laying there in that cold prison cell, facing soon death, had a bathroom floor experience He's, he, as he sent his last two disciples to ask Jesus, Are you really who I thought you were? That question is a piercing one. And I can hear the disappointment in John's voice as he thought of that question Perhaps it was going through his mind, I thought you were a fair God. You know, I thought you were a God who kept his promises. I thought you were a God who healed and who possessed all power. I thought you were omniscient. You know, I thought, you know, like, like it says so many times in Psalms, that if I do good and I obey God, then everything's going to turn out well in my life. And God's, God's going to be for me and he's going to protect me. And all those promises throughout Psalms. How could everyone else get their miracle? How could you be out there performing all of these miracles? And here I am stuck in this cold prison cell after all of my sacrifice, after all of my devotion. So are you really who I thought you were? Because maybe I was wrong. Maybe I gave up my life for nothing. Maybe my faith was in vain. And, you know, I don't know if, if that's exactly how he felt. But to me, that's how that question speaks. When he sent those last two disciples to ask Jesus, are you really who I thought you were or do we look for another? I believe John had a bathroom floor experience. The bathroom floor is a place where dreams have come crashing down. Where cancer is the diagnosis. When you've lost someone dear to your heart, a loved one, perhaps a child or a spouse. When marriages and homes are split up and broken up and end in divorce, when dreams are shattered, when life takes an unfair turn and things and situations you never thought would occur, you suddenly find yourself facing. And when you feel all alone and like nobody knows and nobody cares and you're in a place where you feel lonely and isolated, you find yourself in that same old familiar spot on the bathroom floor. But let me remind you, for just a moment tonight of how Jesus responded to John's doubt. From Luke chapter 7, it says this, And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. This is right after they asked him the question, Are you really who John has been preaching that you were? He, he, so, so he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said to them, Go your way and tell John what things you have heard and seen, and how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. To the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Point out a couple of things about this. First of all, the ultimate answer 
To John's question was, don't be offended at what I'm doing. But Jesus never gave him a reason. And there's, there's a reason for that that I see in Scripture, which I'm going to go into in just a little bit here tonight. But first, let me go back for a second and point out that Jesus never rebuked John for his temporary lack of faith. Or pretended to be shocked at the question. Let me just tell you right now, whatever doubt you have, if you tell it to God, guess what? He's not shocked. He knew you were going to feel that way before you felt that way. He knew what was going to happen before it ever happened. And so instead, Jesus showed forth his power, his, uh, his, his healing nature by healing the sick and doing miracles in that same hour. Now, if the greatest prophet had a bathroom floor experience, don't think that God gets angry with us because we have moments of doubt just like that. Moments when we doubt our faith and doubt our calling and even doubt the goodness of God and moments when we might say to God, are you really who I thought you were? Because God is big enough to handle your questions and even your doubt. Let's go to another man whose name is Peter. I know you know the apostle Peter. He had a big mouth. Anybody know somebody with... No, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Nobody point any fingers, okay? <laughs> but gathered around the campfire, Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? And, and they said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead, or Elijah, but who do you say that I am? You know what Peter said. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, I flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. But my Father which is in heaven, and I had seen to your Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Thank God for that promise. Because just a few years later, Peter would stand up among thousands of people, and when they said, what shall we do? It was Peter that stood up and preached the message on the day of Pentecost, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and convinced them that they needed to be saved. That was the beginning of the church, but there was a moment when Peter backslid, you might say. Uh, from Matthew chapter 26, Peter answered and said, Though all shall be offended of you, yet will not I never be offended. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you that before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus knew Peter would fail him, and boy, did Peter ever have a bathroom experience. As a matter of fact, as Jesus lay beaten, flogged, bloodied, and carrying his own cross, Peter denied him once, twice, and the third time. And the Bible says this in Matthew 26. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus. This is right after he denied the Lord the third time, which said unto him, Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me thrice. <coughs> and he went out and wept bitterly. Now, those bitter tears were over his own failures. And sometimes, that's the source of our own bathroom experience. We and our own bad decisions are the ones that put us on the bathroom floor. How could I have done this stupid, ridiculous mistake? How could I have made that mistake and this mistake? And time after time, I've messed up my life. And here I am on the bathroom floor, and my life is over. I don't know where it's going. And, and you know, God probably has no way out for me. And, and God's just looking down at me, and like he's frowning at me. 
No, I got news for you. He's still the God of your bathroom floor. Whether circumstances outside of your control got you there or it was your own bad choices that got you there, he's the God of your bathroom floor. But Peter had a strong sense of his own falling way short of what he ought to be. And like Peter, we often find ourselves drowning on our own failures and thinking God can't use us any longer. But Jesus foretold Peter what would happen. It didn't surprise Jesus. Jesus knew what was coming all along. As a matter of fact, it needed to happen. Because it, 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 it had to happen. Peter needed to fall in order to see the depth of his own inadequacies. You see, Peter wasn't ready to preach Pentecost before he failed. We see that whenever, whenever he got the revelation of the identity of Jesus Christ. And, you know, Peter kind of got an attaboy from Jesus. Man, you're gonna, you get the keys of the kingdom of God because the keys of the kingdom hang on the identity of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why Peter got him. Because he got the revelation of who Jesus was. Amen. Uh, but then Jesus began to talk about all the things he was going to suffer. And Peter said, be it far from thee, Lord. You remember what Jesus called him? Satan. You know, it's, it's kind of like whenever Jacob, when his name was changed to Israel about halfway through Genesis, but the Bible is, consistently goes back and calls him Jacob over and over and over again. And finally he gets to the precipice of his life where he's at the end of his life and, he's, and finally Joseph has came home and he's endured all, all of this stuff and he's blessing, his, he's blessing the 12 tribes and the Bible calls him Israel. He finally began to walk in that nature, but it took him a lifetime to do it. And this is kind of where Peter was at. Peter had to experience some failures in his life. He wasn't ready to preach Pentecost before he failed. He wasn't ready to, uh, to be endured with power and such faith that wherever his shadow would fall, people would instantly be healed. That's the gift of faith. But after Jesus had taken him apart and putting him back together again, after that bathroom floor experience where he ran out into the night and wept bitterly and thought that Jesus would never use him again, and Jesus doesn't ever want to have to do anything with me again, after Jesus had put him back together again, Peter was not self-sufficient any longer and ready in position for what God was going to do, which was use him mightily. It's kind of like that young preacher that I heard about many years ago. He was young, right out of, right out of Bible school. And he took over this little B church, maybe, you know, 20, 30 people. And he said, God, if you bring them in, I'll keep them clean. I'll preach them to the altar. And man, he had faith and confidence. And about 10 years later, he came back to God about the same congregation. And he said, Lord, how about if you bring them in, I'll keep them clean if you help me. And that's kind of the way it goes with life. God was not ready to use Peter until God allowed him to endure that bathroom floor experience. You see, the storm did not come into your life to derail the dreams God put into your heart, but rather to bring them to pass. Look at Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. It says, And the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over into the other side. Let us pass over. You understand what's getting ready to happen. Verse 36, and when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and they were also, also with him other little ships. 
And there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say, Master, do you not care that we perish? Now Jesus, is, Jesus knew that his disciples' faith would fail them during that storm on that fateful night. As blinding rain and tempestuous winds came crashing into their little ship. Remember that most of them were experienced fishermen. And without question, the first thing that they resorted to whenever that storm began to arise was their own experiences. They immediately said, well, well, you know, we're going to, I don't know, do whatever they else. They had always done. We're going to batten down the hatches and we're going to get our pails out. We're going to, you know, try to get the water out of the boat. We've done this before. We've been here before, so we don't need Jesus. Nobody wake him up because he's back there. He's asleep on the pillow. We don't need him. We've got all of this covered. And let me tell you something. What they were getting ready to experience, they could not experience in that mindset. They had to come to an end of themselves first. And only when Jesus put them into a position where they were about ready to seek and die. Almost to the point where they were questioning his own character. Do you not even care that we perish? And Jesus arose up and he just said three words. Peace be still. As if to say, you could have done this all along. But instead of speaking to the storm, you resorted to your own experiences and did what you've always done because you think that you could have done it without me. And that was where they were at. But as they tried all their tricks from their own fisherman days to solve their problem, all the while Jesus had reminded them what he had said, let us pass over. Unto the other side. Let me tell you, you've got a word from God tonight. You're going to pass over unto the other side. Whatever storms you will ever endure in life, you will pass over unto the other side. One of these, and you know, I don't just mean the other side of the problem. I mean, one of these days, there's going to be another side of all of this. One of these days, this body is going to get up out of the grave and we shall ever be with the Lord in that day. And so the plan all along, Jesus knew there was going to come a storm. I believe he knew there was going to come a storm. I, I don't think Jesus was surprised at all about that storm. And it's not coincidence that the author went out of his way to tell us Jesus was asleep in the back of the ship. Now, I can sleep on a rainy night, but I couldn't sleep on a boat with a storm overtaking the boat on a rainy night. With lightning flashing and eight-foot swells, Tanya and I went to Bar Harbor, Maine, and we, it, that was uh, September of 2001, and we, we went whale watching. And I tell you what, those swells, we went out on the day when there were eight-foot swells. And my wife, to this day, she, she was not a happy person. I'm just going to leave it at that. <clears throat> the eight-foot swells did not agree with her stomach. At about the time she was hurling, we had a camera in a little bag. I said, smile. <laughs> no. <laughs> I did not take that picture, <laughs> or I would not be around to see you today. <laughs> if looks could kill, I would be dead. Ooh, I'm sweating thinking about it. <laughs> 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 so, 
So it's not fun, but, but Jesus was never worried because he knew what was going to happen. And it, was a, and it was a test all along. Let me tell you this. When God is silent, it's not that he doesn't care. It's that you're going through a test. When you pray and you don't get a word from God, have you ever been really young and weak in your faith and you pray and you say, God, show me a verse about my situation. And you open up and it falls right open to the verse you need. Wouldn't it be great if it all happened like that every time? But guess what? It don't. Most of the time it's, oh, Lord, give me a verse. And Judas hung himself. Or something of that sort. I did that in Bible college one time. And, and I, I did. I was crazy. I, I needed a word, man. I couldn't get one from anywhere. And I, I promise you, God is my witness. I opened up to the verse where David said, I am forgotten as a dead man. I am as a broken vessel. <laughs> and as I started to close my Bible, the Lord said, keep reading. And I read it. And like one verse later, it said, but my times are in thy hand. I think God has a little bit of a sense of humor sometimes. I'm pretty sure he does. But Jesus said, let us pass over into the other side. Somewhere in the rain and the winds, they lost hope that they were going anywhere at all. And finally, Master, don't you care that we perish? And you could say that they had a bathroom floor experience that night, but the storm did not sidetrack Jesus' plans. Rather, it gave him an opportunity to show the twelve who he really was. They would never have known the full spectrum of the power of Jesus unless they had gone through that storm on that one fateful night. How often do we lose hope during a storm that what God has promised us would come to pass in our life will somehow get sidetracked because of the storm? Or that the promise that God gave us many years ago was somehow thwarted by our bad choices? Let me tell you, sometimes God gives us promises and we end up in left field and we end up hurt and pained out and everything else. And we say, God, that promise is by the wayside and the Lord is telling you tonight, you know what? Those things came to pass. You got hurt. You got wounded. You got tore up so, that, so it could come to pass. You went through that so I could bring it to pass because there are some things in you that I've got to work out. That's called sanctification process. And it ain't fun. It's like, eat your green beans and your peas. Luke likes green beans. I hate them. I mean, my personal hell will be a bowl of vegetables, green vegetables. For all eternity, that's all I've got to eat. They say if you eat something 21 times, you like it. That is not true for me. Not true. At least it hasn't been true yet. Um, so I don't know, just pray for me. But how often we lose hope during a storm that what God has promised is somehow not going to come to pass. But Jesus said, we're going to the other side. And that means that no storm, no wind, no rain, no lightning will stop what God has ordained to come to pass. You see, God often waits <clears throat> until all of our human efforts have failed and we've done all that we can. But he never shows up late to a storm. He never shows up late to a storm. You're not going to sink. You're not going to drown as long as you keep walking with Jesus. 
as long as you keep doing everything that you can. You might have a momentarily lack of faith. You might have a breakdown in bathroom floor experience at some point in your life. Probably all of us here have had them at some point in our life. But let me tell you, God is, is the God of that place. He is on that floor with you. And he said, I'll be whatever you need me to be at any moment. Job lost it all as well. Job lost it all in a few minutes, a few moments, several kids, his house, his land. And you know what? I've always wondered, there was only one thing that God didn't touch of Job. Do you know what it was? His wife. Now, there's probably a joke in that somewhere, but I'm not going to tell it. <laughs> God told the devil, you can take everything. And the devil, you can take everything away, but don't take his life. And took his kids, Satan took his kids, took his house, took his life, but Satan wouldn't touch his wife. She was the voice of doubt in his life. Curse God and die. You see, when you're sitting on the floor of the bathroom and, 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 and the enemy is whispering things into your ear about your life is over and you might as well quit now, you might as well give up, Satan will send friends into your life to, to confirm that. <laughs> but that's the time you need to surround yourself with godly people that speak faith. Amen. And Job found himself on the bathroom floor. But you know, here's, here's the secret you have to know. Faith is built on the bathroom floor. Now, whenever you're struggling, it doesn't feel like you're building faith. When you're struggling to believe, but let me tell you, if, you, if you've ever, you know, I give this analogy, I've given it before, I'll give it again. If you're a weight trainer, you know, weights, muscle is built by breaking them down. And so, like, for example, take, if, if you're bench pressing weights, you know, you might do 200 pounds this week, and then next week you're going to try to increase it by five pounds. And every week you might increase it, or like two and a half pounds, two and a half to three pounds per week is what I've heard is what like professional weight trainers try to do until they get to their desired goal. But, but every once in a while, they try to max out. And max out means as much as I can lift. And you got to have a spotter. And so that weight, when it comes down on your chest, feels like it's too heavy, but you're pushing it up. In that moment, it doesn't feel like your muscles are being built because they're not. They're being torn down. God builds up, but before he builds up, he tears down. Lord, build me. Build my faith. Give me more faith, God. And God says, okay, but i got to tear down some things first. got to get rid of some self-sufficiency in you first. I've got to get rid of some things first. Because, yeah, you got a revelation of who I am, but in the very next moment, you are denying the fact that there was a cross to carry. That's, that's what Satan didn't want to happen. That's why Peter said, Lord, be it far from thee. We're not going to go to the cross. We're just going to go from, you know, from one mountaintop to another. Life don't work that way. It doesn't matter if you're in the church or if you're out of the church. Life doesn't go from a mountaintop to a mountaintop. Sometimes there are storms that come your way, and there's rains that come your way, and loved ones die, and spouses leave, and all of these things happen. But let me tell you, God is still good, and he's still the God of the bathroom floor. And you got to learn that. That's where faith is built. Deeper trust in God is built on the bathroom floor. You might call it God's operating room. We think that faith is built during miracles. 
and you would be right. You know, if, if I had the gift of miracles tonight and God were to endow me with that gift and I were to walk around this auditorium and have four or five people get healed, it would build your faith for a little bit. But you know what builds deeper faith? Deeper faith is not built in the miracle, but deeper faith is built in the process. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 17 and verse 6. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamore tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. According to the words of Jesus, how much faith does it take to move an entire mountain? A little bit of faith. You've all seen a mustard seed. Very small, very little. That's how much faith it takes. It only takes a little bit of faith to remove a mountain, but great faith is built by going through that mountain. And God sometimes doesn't remove the mountain, and sometimes you speak to the mountain, and it doesn't move either. And so God says, okay, I'm going to give you faith to climb it or go through it. Mountain climber faith. So what do you do when you find yourself on the bathroom floor? <clears throat> Look at Psalm chapter 46 and verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. Now, it's interesting that he said Selah right before he's getting ready to change tunes a little bit. Selah, as you know, means stop, pause, think about what you just read. What's all around us? Trouble on every side. Earthquakes, mountains crumbling into the sea, the water roaring and raging into, and, the, and the sea swelling, great calamity everywhere. But watch what the psalmist says in verse 5. <clears throat> God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. Now, you see, God being in the midst of her doesn't preclude the tragedy from happening. you got to get this deep in your spirit. Because, you know, we often equate, well, God is with me, so nothing bad is going to happen. But that's not how it works. Jesus told us it wasn't going to be that way. He said, in the world, you will have what? Tribulation, trouble. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus told his disciples the same thing that the psalmist was saying. That there was trouble all around him. There's earthquakes. There's mountains coming into the midst of the sea. There's in, in, and the ocean is swelling. And there's trouble all around us. But the, but the psalmist said, but God is in the midst of her. Jesus is in my boat. She shall not be moved. It just means that when trouble does come, I'm sheltered in his arms. And then he says in verse 7, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And he says again there, Selah. And then he says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. It's hard to be still when you're on the bathroom floor. It's hard to keep your mouth shut and not blame God when you're on the bathroom floor. <clears throat> it's hard not to quit 
when you're on the bathroom floor and not to give up your walk with God and not to give up your walk, uh, your lifestyle of devotion to God. But the psalmist said this, there's trouble all around, but be still. And when you're still, you can hear my voice because God rarely speaks through the fire as Elijah learned. Remember? Remember that story? He looked for God on the mountaintop and the mountain shook and there was an earthquake and there was fire on the mountain and Elijah thought God was in all of that. And God spoke to Elijah in a way that Elijah had never heard him before in a still, small voice. And when Elijah was able to hear that still, small voice, it gave him just enough energy and spiritual strength to make it through that tough situation in that time. So, so the key to making it through bad times is just simply to be still. We look for God in the fire and, and to shout when he speaks, but God is in the stillness. And I'm, I'm almost done as musicians come. Isaiah 30 and verse 15 says this, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you will be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Where is your strength at? In quietness and in confidence. In quietness and in confidence. Quietness comes first. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and consider that I am God. Well, all this trouble is happening around me and, and all of these bad things are happening. But be still and know that I am still God and I am in the midst of you. And if you're walking with me, you don't have to fear anything because you're going to the other side. So be still and know that I am God. The sea is not God. The rain is not God. The lightning is not God. The mountain is not God. Cancer is not God. A troubled marriage is not God. Whatever it is that you're going through is not God. But God says, I am God. None, nobody else. And I'm the one that controls everything and the events that are surrounding you. And when the time for your miracle comes, it will happen in the perfect timing. But in the meantime, you've got to learn to be still. And as, you st as you're still, you will gain confidence in God. That's why he said, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Because when you're quiet, when you're still before God, and you listen to his voice, and by being still, I mean be patient. And along with patience comes joy and peace. And joy and peace will be great companions when you're in the lion's den. Just ask Daniel, okay? If you've got patience, you've got joy and peace, and you've got everything you need to make it through whatever it is God's leading you through. So, what do you do when the mountain talks back to you? You be still and know that he is God. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Just lift your hands for a moment right now. Just call out to God. Just to... The patient has got to trust the surgeon that what the surgeon is doing, he knows exactly what he's doing. And there is a masterpiece in the making. You'll find God on the bathroom floor in the stillness. He'll be on that floor with you, my friend. I'm going to open up these altars. I just, I just want you to come and spend a few minutes talking to God tonight. Let God talk to your heart and encourage you. In Jesus' name.